Hi, it's David Pullen with the hot button number 30, why streaming is in stasis. I've always hated the horse race usage for the evolution of streaming. It is definitively not a horse race. There will be no one winner. The success of one streamer does not directly affect the, street, the success of the others. And the standards that most media, exe- media execs and Wall Street people are using to measure the race is, well, stupid. <laughs> the origins of all of this start with Netflix. So, a super fast and overbroad history of Netflix. The physical qualities of the DVD allowed Netflix to offer a paradigm changer in the form of a monthly subscription service for DVDs that allowed for unlimited rentals, three at a time for the cost of renting three or four DVDs at Blockbuster, but with no late charges. Ten bucks, home run. But within years, Netflix saturated the demand market, and there was little room there for growth. It was still a bargain, and they were the subscription king, but the world's mail systems were less reliable and welcoming than the U.S., leaving their demise ahead. So they launched streaming ahead of the technology that was ready to do really well. It was still kind of bad, actually. (laughs) And they launched it ahead of ubiquitous HD. There was not that out there at the point. But it held up their DVD business, and it offered a path forward for the company. And it was still just 10 bucks. Great deal. Even better. Then tech improved. Popularity grew. But the content providers didn't seriously follow Netflix. Inevitably, though, after a few years, they figured it out, and the cost of content leapt exponentially for Netflix. They saw that the industry was waking up, and that Netflix content access would become too expensive or dry up completely. Also, the world was a problem, because even if they were paying nation-by-nation rights, it was all a sticky wicket. It's very complicated, nation-by-nation. They were still charging 10 or 12 bucks, a great consumer bargain, So even though Red Envelope had failed, they started Originals, making them an even bigger bargain for the consumer. Then they started the world expansion of streaming, which has turned out to be more of a Hollywood game changer than Originals alone because the domestic content creators, quote-unquote Hollywood, would suffer in America by pushing into streaming. It would cost them money because they were making so much money in other areas. But the entire world was now opening up in a way that was never possible before. Two years ago, Disney Plus launched, etc., 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 Scene. Now, cut to last week. Disney seems to start panicking, as Wall Street does, when they are announcing that they only have 2 million new Disney Plus subs in the last quarter. Stock has dropped dropped 18 points since that time, eight days ago. Meanwhile, Netflix continues to explode, and it rose 33 points in the same eight days for no apparent reason. The statistics are a little blurry, as this is all kind of extrapolation, since nobody reports these numbers clearly, or nobody but Netflix, But the general assumption is that Disney has about 40 million domestic subscribers to Netflix's 74 million. But both seem to be reduced to incremental domestic growth. Disney doesn't break out their worldwide subscriber segments like Netflix, but Netflix only added 70,000 subscribers in the United States and Canada last quarter. They added 2.17 million in Asia Pacific, 1.8 million in Europe, and 330,000 in Latin America. Both of these companies have evolving issues that they need to address, like any company, but they are very different issues. Netflix is a young but fairly mature company. They've embraced a variety of innovations since the expansion to the world via streaming in order to maximize the value proposition of the many regions in which they operate. They're very close to having double the number of non-consumer subs as domestic, 140 million non-domestic to 74 million domestic. Disney streaming is less mature, but the singular power of the Disney family brand brought it into streaming 
kind of mature already. The acceleration of the Disney Plus brand was intense, but it is a narrow brand, and they offered it at less than half the consumer cost of Netflix. So their average revenue per unit, per subscription, was $4.16 last quarter. For Netflix, it was $11.68. Estimates are that Disney Plus, like Netflix, is already about two to one international subs versus domestic. In Disney's case, about 40 million domestic and 76 million international. But here's where they differ again. The biggest amount of new revenue is outside of America. That is where the growth option is. But while Netflix is busy adjusting to continue to grow where it already has a solid foothold, Disney is actually just working on getting its product settled. Netflix is looking here and yon for both fresh, non-filmed content bait to keep subs happy and alternative revenue streams aside from subscriptions. Disney Plus is a clear product in and of itself, but the other side of the envelope is Hulu, Star, and Hotstar, three brands in different countries with similar goals, but still an undeniable lack of coherence. On top of that, Disney has the Hulu Live brand, which is a cable satellite replacement bundle, which currently has about 4 million subscribers with an ARPU of $85. Disney stops, needs to stop obsessing themselves and to stop encouraging Wall Street to obsess on Disney+. Plus. It is a great brand. In fact, it is the greatest entertainment content brand on earth right now. Netflix is stronger in streaming, but their brand is a certain kind, certain amount of quality content combined with a great value, an incredible value. But Disney is Star Wars and Marvel and Disney and Pixar, and nothing can come close. But being the greatest content brand on earth and maximizing the advantages of being the greatest content brand on earth are two very different things. The same is true at what was once Warner Brothers. The idea that they need to be bigger is absolutely insane. They have a giant, powerful cultural footprint, but it is not the size of the footprint. It's how you use it. Viacom is basically doing the same thing they've done for almost the entire time they've been owned by a Redstone, retreating, or to be kinder, getting smaller, not bigger. They are protecting what they have instead of risking it all to become something greater. The decade of Brad Gray never had an expansive idea. It was close to the vest, then handed off to DreamWorks, then close to the vest again. And it's been worse since he exited. The only major thing Paramount really has brought to the industry during Redstone's history is Jason Blum. And he got out of there in a hurry. Paramount Plus carries all of the corporate twitchiness of that history. And Comcast. Oh, Comcast. They have a footprint that's even bigger than Warner's, given the theme parks and the broadcast network. So why does Peacock feel like an afterthought? Well, in part because of the broadcast network and the cable holdings and the parent company being a cable company... Streaming isn't helping those other businesses, which are still the dominant revenue creators. Somehow, the primary tool these companies have learned is based on the tool that they got them, got them here, movies. They think that's the way to get forward. The notion that opening, though, expensive movies on streaming is a way to build a streaming service is insane. You want a squid game? It costs less than $3 million an hour. But how do you get it? You make 200 or 300 hours of original series content a year and open yourself up to the world and then you get lucky because that's what happened to Netflix. They got lucky, lucky and hardworking and working with good people, but lucky. It's a percentage game. It's not a throw your IP at the audience even harder game. But the price of every hour is going up every quarter now. Another reason why Netflix was very, very lucky with Squid Game. Bridgerton is a lot more expensive, less impactful, and they have a lot less control of the future with Ms. Rhymes. And if you start spending $5 billion a year on content, $10 billion on content, $15 billion on content, hoping to get lucky, you could go bankrupt.
And so, stasis. We are in stasis. What of Apple and Amazon? They remain wild cards. Obviously, deep, deep pockets. Both are making some really good product. Amazon is delivering lots of diversity and women-driven shows, and Apple TV is the home of white people programming of the highest order. <laughs> They've added swagger and Acapulco to the service this fall, so maybe that is evolving too. But Amazon and Apple are a bit frozen also. Every one of these companies is working its ass off and creating quality shows and, and if you want to call them movies, and continuing to do deliver good stuff. My point is not to denigrate what is being made or who is making it and delivering it. This is about the perspective of the industry, its future, and all these companies. Buying MGM and building a sparkly new campus in Culver City is really cool, but those are just structures. It still feels like a giant question mark when one considers what Amazon really wants. It may be more than another way to get close to you so you'll buy more toilet paper and overcoats on Amazon.com, or maybe that's all it is, even with all the hard work of all these great people. Apple, too. Are they really just after more acreage and the equipment you already own and carry around with you all day? Is it just a quality piece of the puzzle when it comes to a bundle like Apple One selling you six or more services, half of which you likely won't use, but enough to get you to subscribe and keep a steady flow of cash flow coming in every month from hundreds of millions of customers? And, you know, don't sleep on Hulu or Netflix or HBO Max either. They're all pumping out some good stuff and some great stuff. So why is the streaming business in stasis? Three things. One, international for everyone but Netflix, an issue. Two, domestic cable, satellite, and broadcast is in the way. Three, Hulu, specifically for Disney and Comcast. One, Netflix is wrestling with some international, and everyone's wrestling with China forever, but they're well ahead of everybody else right now. International what is what makes the losses on domestic worth the transition. Two, cable is in the way. Broadcast is in the way. There is too much money in that pipeline for everybody to give it up for streaming, which will take five to ten years to be anywhere near as profitable if everything goes well. We don't seem to be at the moment yet, but we will get there. Between SVOD, which is streaming paid streaming services, and AVOD, ad-based VOD, broadcast as a major delivery service and the affiliate system will all have to go. Nearly half the, cent the country, however, is still not really ready for this transition, even though, unlike the transition to HD, which we did, what, 10 years ago, it will not require expensive new equipment to make the transition, but it will require solid or better home internet service. This will be the biggest slog, getting rid of cable and, and broadcast as the primary functions in this country. Unlike the international expansion, which is really where the money is, it's not new territory, but it's actually a replacement of something that is actually very familiar and, if not well-liked, very comfortable for people. Also, there will not be a uniformity in the transition. Some people will buy VMVPDs, which are basically virtual cable systems, like Hulu, Hulu Live or YouTube TV. Some will use antennas for broadcast, ad-based VOD, and others and either buy none of the paid streamers or be very selective. There will always be some percentage of people who want to buy content movie by movie, show by show. I believe we're getting the breaking point here from a business perspective. But in our, no matter how intense the tension, getting to the snapping point will not be easy. Third, Disney needs to free Hulu. The longer they wait, the more expensive it will be. It's really keeping them from flying, and it has to happen. Change is exciting and scary always. But these in-between moments are the worst. Until tomorrow. <laughs>